Uh, welcome to Sunday Sessions, 9th of August, 2020. I've got it. Go. Thank you for being with me uh, on this Sunday session, a new one. Uh, this is our weekly time of exploring nature-based folklore as a connection to our tree or garden sanctuary. And a reminder that the three pillars of these Sunday sessions are to explore nature-centered folklore, personally apply that folklore mindfully outside, and we're beautifully outside in the sun today, and uh, within your chosen tree or garden sanctuary. And the third pillar, express your visions through your writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving, and whatever your job is, your vocation. Now, today's theme is First Harvest Gratitude. And uh, I invited you to join me live on or send me a pre-recorded video clips of what Luminosa, Lamas, First Harvest, what this all means to you how you celebrated, what you were grateful for during this. It's a traditional abundant time, but nobody sent me any videos or their YouTube links uh, or offered to join me live on this. So please share what you did in, in the comments below. For a start, please put in your comments uh, right now where you're actually listening from. Uh, where are you? Uh, I assume there's someone there that is great. Share in the comments before, what does Lunas or what does Lamas, Lamas mean to you? What have you been doing? And excuse me if my eyes are all over the place. I've got a new rig here at the moment, and I'm trying to see where everything is because I only had this set up about two minutes before coming live. Anyway, what are you grateful for uh, through this first harvest abundance time? Because uh, we had the cross quarter of Lunasa was Friday uh, just after 2 a.m., so this is the first Sunday after, and I'm going to be talking a bit about that myself a bit later. So let's see who I can say hello to. Um, Kimberly is here. Lovely to see you again. And uh, who else we got? We got Kirsten. There's Pat. Pat. Have I got it right? Yes, Pat Noon's here. Great. Fabulous. Thanks for all being here. And uh, for those of you who obviously are joining a bit later, um, you can re uh, watch the archive because you know, a lot of people who would normally be watching, especially in Ireland, probably be down on the beach uh, or in the woods somewhere, maybe writing poetry in the woods uh, to try something out because we've got the bards from the woods at four o'clock today. Now, looking at the screen, it looks as if I'm very dark. And funnily enough, I've got light on me. I've got a lot of it. As I say, this is a bit of a new rig and I'm trying to find where the buttons are. And we got this beautiful sun uh, behind. So I, I hope uh, this all makes sense. I haven't got so many pictures, photos today because um, I uh, well, I didn't have, I really, I've been out in the garden. I didn't have the time to uh, set them up as such. But uh, I'm not, because nobody sent anything, I'm not lost. Uh, the one, what I wanted to do at some point anyway, at the uh, Garland Sunday chat a couple of Sundays ago, I kind of made an introduction to the uh, Mug Select and the whole uh, kind of folklore there of the Crom Dove and the uh, 
Kronkrok. So I'd like to go into that a little bit deeper uh, because one of the things I'm going to be doing is those people have been donating uh, to the Labyrinth Gardens and these Sunday sessions. Uh, as a gift, I'm going to be creating a course through the winter. And this is one subject that uh, I really want to go into in quite a bit of depth. It's uh, one of the most my favorite uh, stories. And it's really a, what I suppose it's called. It was scribed by the later medieval scribes, maybe about 10th, 11th century. What they picked up was these oral stories, which were in poetry. And uh, they scribed them down and kind of known as the Dinshemkas. And uh, I'll, I'll try and see if I can put that word up on the screen for you. Uh, the Dinshemkas. And this is where the Mugslack story comes in. Uh, there we go. There's your spelling. Oops, there it goes. It's disappeared again. There we go. And uh, that's uh, really, I love it. It's the law of places and traditions. It doesn't really follow on from history. There's a camera. <laughs> it doesn't really follow on from history. Uh, but it's stories that are made about uh, places and traditions to try and explain them, put them into a story, put them in some sort of ideology because places are named after feelings, after things that happen. You know, if on Facebook in the mornings, I, I tend to give a bit of a, a weather forecast and weather forecasting is very much describing conditions. And a lot of Irish place names, especially, you get a bit of it in Scotland, uh, they're describing conditions and they do this perhaps through a story, through an imagery, maybe through a family that was there, but even the family name itself has a lore uh, that's a story. So it, this was orally expressed as poetry with perhaps a little bit of commentary to try and explain the poetry. I, maybe the commentary was necessary when they were facing the scribes who were trying to get all this stuff down. And I suppose a common one, to give you an example, would be the stories of uh, dolmens. Um, now, gear, gear, behave. There we go. <laughs> uh, you know, the, well, let's go to the local Sligo. There we have Ben Bulban, and that's got lots of stories of the, the fairies opening that point. That that's a door that they can open it up, and then if you go off to uh, dolmens here, uh, they're described as being the gateways to the underworld. So those are a couple of examples where place names can be related to a story. And uh, if you can get an actual transcribed copy somewhere of the Book of Leinster, it's a very good source for uh, explaining this. So, Cromdov. I was talking about the Cromdov lad uh, because we've got Cromdov and Cromcroac. Um, now, he's very much a kind of a spirit of the underworld. Uh, described of that as a legend in more modern legend tends to be a sort of male figure but i think uh, with its origin it was like the spirit of the earth it, it was genderless it was like uh, as people would perhaps think of as a god as being genderless some prefer to be female but i think genderless but a few weeks ago i had a session on dragons serpents and snakes and crumbed tends to be a bit of an extension because in some stories 
if I've got a picture here, is he or she is portrayed as a snake. And uh, here's someone who's done a snake guppy. And see, you've got little two horns. Now, the horns, uh, as the story was passed down, they got bigger and bigger. And uh, you got into people like Hearn the Hunter, who came out of that. There he is, uh, the antlers. I'm going to talk a bit more about why the antlers are there a little bit later. But the horns got bigger. The tails got pointy, like I was talking about the Scorpio uh, symbol. And, uh, of course, the, the devil images came out of that, as, uh, as you can imagine they would do uh, with these sort of old stories, because the church uh, was trying to drive them out. Anyway, the uh, time of Crom Dove is, is a mixed thing. Uh, there is a legend saying that there's always a war between Crom Dove and, and Crom uh, Kroak. But, of course, a lot of the bards, they tended to set up battles. They tended to divide, divide law, set up battles. And... I try to avoid the battles. This is, as I was saying, try to focus on nature-based uh, folklore. So Crom Dove, uh, in my mind, as I was talking about the the serpents, very much related to the water because uh, one of the folklore stories is it, it was the serpents that actually cut out the land through uh, Ireland so that water could flow. And there's a... Um, a wonderful tradition, as I was talking about at that time, of how the serpents change from fire to water. And uh, the water element is very important. It's very important, I think, to Crom Dove, too, because Crom Dove is the keeper of the wells. Crom Dove is the spirit of the fairies, of the fae, of the she. Uh, so very much of the underworld, even when the Tour de Danon was sent to the underworld, it's as if they join the Cromdove cult, because the Cromdove cult itself did actually start up during the time of the Tour de Danon. And I'll give a, a reason for that uh, very soon. But when is this Cromdove day? Uh, it's, uh, was it Garland Sunday, the last Sunday of July? Well, I explained that as Pope Gregory, who kind of set that up. Or is it the first Sunday in August? Again, that's a Pope Gregory measurement, or is it the first Sunday after cross-quarter day? Now, to me, that makes a lot of sense because the cross-quarter calculations uh, for this time of Lunasa goes way back to Babylonian times, it goes back thousands of years. The amazing astronomers, it just fills me with wonder the whole time, and their ability to invent calibration and from the calibration, they invented just probably three sticks or something, and they realized they could get the exact distance between the sticks. And from that out came geometry and various mathematics. And then observations from the sky in relation to the Earth, we kind of treat that as astrology. But they worked out these cross-quarter days and, and got these amazing, almost exact times. Uh, it's a great wonder. So. We're on the first Sunday after that cross-quarter, so I'm very happy to be talking about uh, the uh, Crom Dove at this time. And, uh, and of course, Crom Croak. And uh, now the Crom Dove himself, and let's get you a spelling up of that I, whilst I'm talking of that. Uh, 
I've got something. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm saying all these things, and people don't see what they are. So let's see if I can get this up for you. There's Chrome Dove. There you go. And um, said to be a, a stooped-over dark figure or that bending-over snake that's about to pounce. And uh, I, think, I tend to think the, the stooped is more like a description of the overlord and someone that is certainly of higher spirit of the chieftain is very much the mentor uh, of the chieftain, a kind of underground god. And there's even, uh, I was talking about Garland Sunday being Bilberry Sunday and all the romancing that happened with Bilberry. Well, even uh, the Crom Dove, uh, one of the stories of him is that uh, there's a woman that comes in various stories. You might be familiar with her as being the daughter of Bala, uh, who comes to the fore in the second battle, Mortura. Uh, Ethna, where it's said that even uh, Ethna, each year, this is quite symbolic, every time she goes out and gets bilberries on the Bilberry Sunday, uh, that up comes uh, Crom Dove, maybe when she's taking uh, a sip of water from a well near the bilberries, he comes up and seizes her <laughs> and takes her underground. And that has quite a reverence with some stories of the uh, women that were out picking berries, hazelnuts, the, the small girls uh, in various places, and they were swallowed up by the pool, by the well, and, and the, then the serpent formed the river that went towards the sea and took the, the little girl. Shannon is very much the famous one of this, the formation of the Shannon, and it's taken down to the sea. And before she gets to the sea, becomes the spirit of the water uh, and also the spirit of the weather of the clouds that fall and fertilize the land for the year ahead. So we, um, we, we have Crom Dove, his spirit of the well, spirit of the water, underground, definitely weaving the life that is going to go and push up into the roots, up into the plants. And uh, if it wasn't for Crom Dove, really, and this is a, this, I've got to wind this around to the gratitude, that we actually would have gratitude for Crom Dove. I'm not sure how much gratitude we would have had in June and July here for him because he was very active with the water and the rain here, but it helped to put water in the fruit. It's, uh, it helped to expand things, it helped the trees. So there was a lot of use. So there's reverence for Crom Dove, for the water, for the blessing of water, for the spirit from the underground where the two had done and or put on the ground. And I was saying that, uh, how about this reverence and about the Babylonian uh, origin because really farming started then. And the farming, uh, the techniques of farming, even the genetics that created the cereal, it moved through the Persians and uh, it moved through what's now the Middle East. And from the Middle East, the farmers kind of moved west and it, it's not sure what route they did, maybe Morocco um, or maybe across the North Mediterranean, uh, into, certainly into Brittany, Cornwall, up uh, through what's now uh, Britain over to Ireland. They brought this farming and uh, the idea of being able to grow crops and everything related to this lunacy, a lot of the celebration, the gratitude that we have is for the farmers because that's where we get our food from. We don't get our food now from foraging. If we relied on foraging with the population we got now, 
then I'm sure the population would decrease very quickly because we'd be um, uh, we we wouldn't be able to eat. So a gratitude for farmers at this time. And so how did ancient people share the gratitude? So we first we had this crondov for the water and the uh, blessing of water into it. And then we have the Kronkrog. And Kronkrog, if I can uh, get to his name, there he is, uh, or she, uh, related to the ripening. And the ripening and the nutrition, the sun coming down. Kronkrog is, is the gold, is the sun, uh, is the ripening that brings about the gold cereals. And so there's uh, a whole reverence of being Kronkrug, the commanding of the sun to shine brighter through the summer, the ripening gold, the cereal harvest, and the cereals being, and even the potatoes, our food for survival. And again, the Krom being meaning bent over, stooped over, the overlord, this overcasts, the overlord of the ripening sun. And then that harvesting, what do we do? What do the farmers do? They go into the field and they cut the grains. They cut the heads off of Kronkroik. Now, remember that as far as symbolism, because I'm going to go uh, come on to that uh, very, very soon. And if you're familiar with some of the English and Welsh tradition, there's the John Barleycorn folklore. If you follow the song and rhyme of that, it's almost describing the same as Kronkroik. And the crack itself, the actual word crack, what it means is a mound. And in this case, it's a mound of the cereal from the harvest. And of course, it's not only grains, there's a pile of straw, isn't there? With these cereals, it doesn't matter if it's oats or rye or barley, barley being the important one in the early days. There's all this straw. And straw was helped with the building material, it was mixed in with clay. It was certainly there for the thatching, for the roofing even places where people congregated, there would be thatch. Uh, and it was much easier to use the thatch than it was to cut stone and slates uh, for a roof. It was much more easy to get hold of. And if you notice, Karakori Cottage here uh, is a thatch, though it isn't a straw thatch, because the birds love to nest in straw thatches. This is actually reed, and that, and that has another folklore and story to it. But uh, I went in about the bread made from the cereals. It said you don't cut the cereals you don't, until Kronkruak uh, has arrived. Otherwise, if you do this before the time of gratitude, then the cereals will rot and you won't live through the rest of the year. Because this is the month of abundance. Um, there is a story, uh, I, I think I told it last time, about Lua, because sometimes the Krom Kruik character and, and the stories of Lou of the Tour de Danon, they kind of cross paths because Lou is said to be a person that in his regal state was covered in gold, and that was to represent him as being the earthly figure of Krom Kruik, of Krom, yeah, Krom Kruik. So uh, this is, I'm going to come to that. So. Let's talk about Mag Slack now, the plane of Mag Slack. And I've got some maps and pictures uh, of that. And before I get to that, let's see what you've been saying, because um, I'm going to br bring it all together. I see there's quite a few of you here, which is lovely. 
uh, Star, uh, lovely to see you here. Uh, great. And uh, Donna, good morning from New Mexico. Claire's here. Hello. Uh, exquisite landscapes and people. <laughs> Look at that. I, I think I ought to bathe in this compliment. There we go. Oh, it disappeared on me. There we go. <laughs> exquisite landscapes. And I'm going to come on to landscapes when I talk about Max Slack as well. Hello, Margie. Um, see you a bit later with the uh, bars from the uh, woods. And uh, and then Shell. And uh, thank you for being here. So I'll continue now with the exciting part of Mark Select. Uh, and I did get some pictures up uh, for that uh, for you. Uh, let's let's give you some maps uh, for this. Um, oh, first, I was talking about the Chrome Dove uh, the, uh, as well. And anybody been to the um, the Janus figure, I think they call it, the two faces uh, at, it's a cemetery on Boar Island. It's this lad here. Uh, there we go. Uh, who, who's been to that one? And um, excuse me, I'm trying to uh, get my screen organized here. Who has been to that? Uh, it's it isn't very very well signposted, and so that is two faces, and some to say the two faces is uh i don't know when it was done it's very 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 ancient at least a couple of thousand years old and some say it's the two faces of crom dove and crom cruet and uh but it's fascinating anyway and it's in an area that's just outside of the Marseille. could easily have been brought over to the cemetery as a kind of preservation uh, and as a a gratitude for the people buried there. It might have been pulled over in the uh, middle of the uh, uh, late Middle Ages. But let's go back. I was saying the Cromdove for the the water and the blessing of the well. So here's uh, here's a well that's near us. I, and there's the sun that would be ripening the wheat. And there's Cromdove himself in the water. Lovely combination photo here. And this was a lovely little group who were desperate for the water and were holding on to each other. Uh, absolutely delightful. But let's get to some mapping here. Crom Select here, um, if, this is taken from the Ordnance Survey map. Uh, I'm uh, a shame I haven't got a pointer for you. I've got one arriving next week, but uh, I need it now. To the right there, you've got uh, Ballyconnell. Now, Connell them, themselves, uh, I'm going to talk about them, but they were quite a, a family, quite a clan, kind of related to the um, Nile and the Nine hostages. And in this area, the Mark Slack, which was set up uh, by uh, the Fomorians, they, they wanted that area for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's because they were out, think there was gold there. But that's the sort of border of this Mark Slack area. Um, and this whole is an incredible region. I think it's three, three uh, square miles altogether. And in that, uh, it has the highest density of archaeological sites in the whole of Ireland. Yet hardly anybody's heard of it because it's not a tourist attraction as such. And there we go. I've sort of ringed here. And uh, shame I can't get, I thought I had a, a, a magnified version, but I don't think I pulled the, 
the picture up. So apologies for that. If you go to an ordnance survey, look for uh, Ballyconnell, and then of course go here to the southwest. You'll see this is absolutely plastered. Uh, I forget how many uh, are there, how many monuments. I might have written a note about that. But I'll, I'll think about that later on. But the center of this, and it's a shame I haven't got uh, the magnified version, but there is a place, it's, it says Stone Circle. I don't know how much that magnifies up on your screen. If you magnify it, you'll see in the red, there's one, the Stone Circle. And this is, this is the most important site uh, of this whole place. Now, you won't have heard of it like Tara or Hill of Yushnuk uh, or Newgrange or uh, even Karakil. Because the public access here is very is pretty awkward. There is public access, and it, uh, County Cavern, which is where this is in, uh, did try to get a public trail going, but there's a lot of resistance from the farmers in this area. Not because so much of concern for the uh, trespassing and the damaging, or even upsetting the cattle. That isn't it their own superstition and their own beliefs in this area is still very, very strong. And they don't want thousands of tourists uh, trampling uh, over this area because they still believe in the folklore of the Cromdov. And they, uh, it's a bit like the fairies. You don't mess with the fairies. Uh, so you don't mess with the Cromdov. Uh, so we have to be uh, very, very careful on this. I'm seeing how I'm doing. I, again, I'm. this is a long story, and I, I'm sort of reeling it out for you. I hope you don't mind on this one. It is a favorite of mine because when I started taking people, I don't do it now, but when I started taking people around uh, in a minibus to places, I'd have inquirers say to me, oh, I hear you can do Sligo in half a day. Uh, what do you think we can do in the afternoon? And when people made those inquiries, I'd set up, 30 days in uh, from Karakrori, basically. 30 days from here, we're in County Sligo. 30 places and things you could do in a day. And I still knocked a few things off. And one of them was this day in Maslek and to walk around. And if I had a small group, I'd be, able, I'd be able to get around the farmers okay. But funnily enough, when I sent people the list, uh, there was only two little groups, one of three people, one of five people, that wanted to venture over to here. So it's a very unknown place, yet to me, it equals or even it's even greater than Tara because it was the center of belief, the center of sort of administration. It was the center of the culture of the country before Patrick, before the scriptures, uh, before Christianity came in. And that's what I'd like to delve uh, in you with you for now. Now, when I was saying stone circle, uh, these trees have got perhaps the most important, the most profound stone circle in Ireland. And some of the stones are there, uh, and some of them be moved about uh, to actually, I suppose later on were used as actual barriers. But this is quite a, well, let's get to a graphic. This is apparently what it was. This is an, an actual image of what was there. The plain of prostrations. This is all the plain of prostrations, all this here. 
and uh, prostration, as you might be familiar with, uh, from Islamic. And I think uh, the whole tradition of prostrations that came to here, we, we go back to the Babylonians again, and we move forward to the Zoroastrians. The Zoroastrians uh, believing in the farming. They were very much the promoters of farming, the education of farming, because what they believed in was everybody was entitled to abundance. Everybody was entitled to wealth. Nobody was uh, entitled to being poor. They didn't want to hear anything about being poor. They only wanted to hear and learn motivations of how to accumulate, how to grab wealth. And that might sound familiar today, except there's one difference. It was advancing and accumulating wealth on condition that you shared it. And this is what it was with the Zoroastrians. And this moved on through the Persians. It moved on through the earliest of the Islamic faith, when we think of Islamic faith now, unfortunately, through the divisions and what's been going on. First thing, Islam, terrorism. It was very different from that. And it still is in a capture. It's a hold on to this sort of ancient fire festival, the plain of prostrations. And the, the whole mythology of prostrations, unfortunately, has been churned and made to be ugly and barbaric. But originally, I don't think it was. This was gratitude. You know, people would come and travel far to come to this area amongst Slag for gratitude uh, for Crom uh, Dove, uh, for Crom Kruag. This was like a, a huge center. In the same way, Kildare might be the big center for Imbolc. And then we move on to Belsny. A lot of people regard uh, the um, Hill of Yuzhnik as the main place, but there's another place that was even bigger that a lot of people can't find. Shrone, city of Shrone down in Kerry. And uh, it was wonderful what went on there. And the farmers are very much willing to tell you what is what uh, in there. Uh, and there's Belgian Tops up in Donegal uh, near Raffo. Uh, so uh, those are big for that. And Tara, really, Tara and the nearby hill of Ward, uh, the hill of Tlaka, we relate to, to Sawan. But this, the Maxleg is really the lunar site of Ireland that is forgotten and is very much a secret place. So the bowing, the prostrations, is said was to a shrine. And the sh artist's impression of that shrine uh, is that, um, that it was a gold figure uh, in the middle. And uh, there's 12... It said 12 bronze figures. Now, I think this has been twisted by the church, by the canon law uh, since late uh, medieval times. But um, I'm wondering um, about the gold idol. Some say it's Lou and his Fianna with their... This was bronze agency, so people would have had items of bronze that they might have been carrying jewelry, their little dagger swords, their pots... Could have been the uh, they had their bronze parts. Anyway, there was the association, uh, this gratitude of this figure. And sometimes they say it was Lou who came in his gold armor, his gold suit, and he would be there. But what uh, has been said, <coughs> excuse me, is the Kilogan stone. And there's a, not far away from that stone circle out by the road is the Kilogan stone. And see there uh, grooves at the top. That's said to be 
a representation of the haircut, the hairstyle of Crom Cruick. I don't know the origin of that. Even Crom Dove is supposed to have had a, a bit of a hairstyle like that. I thought I had a picture of him and his hairstyle, but I didn't really pick that one. No, I didn't pull that one up. Now, this is what it looked like when archaeologists actually picked it up. And it was part, it was in here. This is where they found it. And uh, it's now in the Cavan uh, County Museum. And you can go there and, and people talk about it when they approach the stone. Uh, but a lot, a lot of people like talking about feeling the energies. It's certainly a lot of people report feeling vibrations as they approach it in the museum, as if the uh, crom dove is still very much in it. That's, um, but there is a sinister story, uh, unfortunately, with this uh, stone. Uh, one thing I ponder about it, was it a site of Fomorian taxation? Because if you know of the uh, story of the Fomorians, they, uh, this was what, they were the foundation of the Second Battle of Montura. And it's said that the reason there was a battle is there was huge taxation on the Tour de Danon. They were coming ashore. They were seizing their crops. They were seizing their milk. And uh, this was a form of taxation. And it was getting more and more. There wasn't enough left to feed the Tour de Danon. Enough's enough. And that's what came up to become the Second Battle of Montura. That's another session. And I'm not even going to cover that. As I say, I do nature-based stuff, not, not the battles. So, but some people say this Cologan stone was the place where people had to bow as gratitude, uh, not only to Crom Dov, but the Fomorians convincing people perhaps that they were the, the human manifestation of Crom Dov. I don't know. This is going into the barbaric stuff. But this was perhaps a trading area where people had to trade their, their milk and their, uh, and, and their cereals. But in some way, perhaps there was a tithing. I don't know. But they, they, it's as if some say there was sort of some curse. Though, When people saw the capitalist version that they could do this, there's all these people with gratitude, abundant farmers. Uh, it's, as I say, the Zoroastrian way. There were abundant farmers who were about to give stuff away. Well, if you're giving stuff away, we can have it. We can put it on our boats and we can go and sell it somewhere else. So I think there was a bit of that that started developing. And uh, people talk of the Druids as such. I think the Druids were very much, they came later. They were very much of the woodland. I think uh, the, um, the Kroak as such, people sort of manifested themselves as being the Kroak, as being people of power. And they bent their power to sort of go greed. And I think they would, they started up a cult. And with this cult, they managed to somehow convince people that if they didn't bow at this stone, if they didn't bow towards these people that were perhaps taxing them, then the cereal that they've got would wither away and the milk, their cows would no longer milk and run dry and they would starve. So it's as if people, this cult started that if people didn't come from around the country and uh, do their reverence and thanksgiving and gratitude, for this lunacy of time, that things will go bad. And I think that was just the criminality of the time. I don't think that has anything to do with the origin. And so this is the thing I hope it's encouraged that we banish that sort of attitude and go back to what was perhaps the origin of, yes, let's 
let's accept the gift of abundance. Let's share it as well. Um, anyway, Max uh, Slack has the uh, anglicized name of Moss Slot, which is a bit, and uh, that might be a clue. Um, now, uh, the changes, uh, let's give some, I've got some origins here. It is uh, apparently in legend that the Max Slack used to be called Maxena, it was the Valley of the Slope, because it is on the slope uh, of the hill, I forget the names, above the um, uh, the town there, uh, Bally Connell, the, the hill where the Connells are buried. Um, that, uh, that's where it's named, but it got changed to the name of uh, Max Slack about 2000 BC by a Firbolg. Let's go back to uh, the, the site to give you some reference here. Uh, I haven't got his uh, uh, name. It's a by, uh, Let's see if I can get his name, the Firbolg man here. There he is, uh, Hodden, uh, chieftain of Connell, father of Cronkroyk, he called himself. And it's said that he was the one that ordered the setting up of this idol uh, to ensure the ripening of cereals and to overcome the flooding that may be brought about by crom dove so uh, we've got uh, i say this is max slack and, and the slack itself or sex or sex it means the power of underworld secrets so this place here was kind of regarded as a place of underground secrets that we came to the surface uh, so let's give you another picture of this. So there it is there. There at the site of underground secrets. And you can walk to it to the road. It's pretty muddy. It's it's slightly signed. It really needs a guide to take you. You look, see that uh, standing stone on the left. You can actually see that from the road. And you can actually see the circle of trees. And there is a, a, uh, there is a brown sign, but it doesn't tell you where it's going to. It just tells you the townland name. Uh, but uh, it's interesting that uh, each side, let's go back onto the maps again. If I can go to the whole region here. To the east of this is what's now the Shannon Waterway. And uh, the uh, it used to be called the Woodford River. And before that, it was actually the Avangron, Avangronia, and Gronia uh, being a goddess who's a goddess of the sun, goddess of the ripening grain, gr uh, ripening cereals. Fascinating that uh, from the east. Uh, so you have the the Avangronia, and definitely it's like a very Gronia and Kronkroex, similar folklore. And uh, when I do the courses, uh, set those up in winter, I'll be explaining that, how it all connects up together. And then to the right, we've got the, I don't know if you can, a left here to you is to the west. We have, you can see a little river, and that's the Ovandov. That's to the west, obviously relate to the Krom Dov. So we've got the Kroak or Gronje to the east, and we have the Dov, the uh, Black River, the Ovandov to the uh, right. And this whole Magslek area is three square miles, 80 archaeological sites, stone circles, standing stones, Rask, Ken Hills, densest in Europe. And um, 
Now, I in one of the past sessions, I think it was the um, was it the uh, one? It would have been possibly the dragons, where I talked about the the battle of Draken and Groenia. See the bottom black circle there. Excuse me, <coughs> that's on the Woodford. That's on the uh, what was the Groenia River, and that spot where the black circle is is where the battle is supposed to have taken place, which is kind of on the edge of this Mugslek area. And that ring in Ballyconnell at the top there, now an interesting thing was in this area where they were supposed to have had a battle, and unfortunately I don't have the picture up of it, uh, there was a figure that was dug up from there, a sculpture figure from late medieval times that is said to have been of Drakken. And Drakken, given a kind of a bull-like feature with horns. Yes, and I was saying about the Krom Dog and the uh, Krom... Uh, crack about abundance is not only uh, about abundance of the cereals, it's also abundance from the milk, from the cattle. So all this sort of folklore and bits and pieces would be intertwined to be new new stories. And so that was actually taken up, and that was known as the Draken Stone, uh, the Tom Draken. And uh, it got anglicized, Draken got anglicized into Egan and Reagan. So there you know, if, if old Irish names, if you're an Egan or a Reagan, you're related to Drekken, uh, the clan of that. And that stone is in a wee church in Ballyconnell. And the church itself, which is really funny because you think of the takeover by the church and, and the banishing of the snakes, that, uh, that you would never have anything like this near us, uh, a church. Because while I've been talking about the Max Leck and that, that circle, uh, I'm going to talk about Patrick. He tried to banish all that. But there we have the Church of Ireland. It actually has this old figure from uh, really the, uh, the the Maxleck days. It's really from the Maxleck cult. It's part of it. It's actually there in the entrance of the church. And the church itself is actually named after it. It's actually known as the Tom Regan Church. Fascinating. Worth a visit. Uh, there's a man who has a and uh, collects old cars. I think he's got an old taxi or something on the left. You get the key from him. It will let you in and have a look at the stone. So I think that's uh, worth thing. Uh, I, I just wish, you know, I could go on for hours about this place. I hope I'm not boring you. Uh, now, the uh, people of this area, as I say, they were Furbolgs. Uh, come on, that's it. They actually had a tribal name. They were the Maseragi. I haven't, uh, I don't think I put the name up. The Maseragi, uh, and they definitely have an origin with Middle Eastern because there's a Middle Eastern clan, the Maseragi, and it really shows the connection of how that moved over to Belgium, Brittany, and how the Furbolg and their farming and how uh, they're related. They're from uh, 2000, and the clan of the Maseragi was stewards of Maseragi. And it was from within here that they became the school, the teachers, and they uh, schooled and ordained many people. You would, you'd think of them as druids, but they were the sex. And then that was not disturbed until Conal Gubbin of uh, Son of Nine of the Nine Hostages, and it was about 350 AD. And he took an interest in them, and he actually called himself Conal because the folklore had been changed from Cromdov into uh, a figure that was, um, oh, what was his name now? Um, 
he, uh, Colonel uh, Karnak, and Colonel Karnak, as you may be familiar, is the root to the traditions of Hearn the Hunter. Let's bring him up. Uh, he's, I had him, and he's, there he is. And there's uh, uh, the legendary look of uh, the uh, Colonel Karnak, uh, who was the sort of nature of the order. So Colonel Cohen, uh, he wanted some of this power. But he, again, he wanted this power to be exclusive. It was a coup. It was a takeover bid. And he wanted to kind of take over from the Maseragi, uh, this clan. But the Maseragi themselves, as I say, they scored the people, um, the, the sex uh, in this area and uh, through uh, near the region of the Stone Circle, probably wasn't in the circle, but certainly scored in the area. There's so many relics that could be part of any of them. But unfortunately, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Connell family, the people who named themselves Connells, they wiped out the Maseragi about 900 AD uh, to bring in a new order. And this is where the new order is of concern. And this is what's really changed the folklore. Um, so I talked about the Sturban. Oh, there's one thing is, is uh, now I'll talk this another time. I'm really trying to close this off for you now. Let's go on to Patrick. And they said that Patrick came along and uh, he was concerned because he had set up churches. He had brought gospels, the, uh, the Psalms and the Proverbs, I think. And he had been trying to set up schools that there wasn't really scribing in Patrick's time. This came later, the, the learning of the scribing and the setting up of books. Colin Keel definitely brought this forward. And then I went into the early medieval, late medieval. And uh, so the, the, you had a sort of a Patrick cult that wasn't get, being concerned that people that they were ordaining were still going to mark select. They were still learning to be the corrects and uh, the sects, and they were still following the lunacy tradition of reverence for Cromdove and Cromcruac. So he wanted to put a banish to that. So he was going to get rid of the serpent. This was another story of Patrick getting rid of snakes, but it wasn't a load of snakes, it's just this one. Cromdove serpent, and so there's that picture I showed up where he had a. There is, he's not a serpent there. I don't know what the heck he is on that one, but that's an artist's impression of Patrick banishing. And it's said that through using his crozier uh, from the hill, he could throw it down, and suddenly all the bronze statues disappeared underground. And when they disappeared underground, he put up a church, but that's not uh, the original church. Uh, that's um, that came in the 19th century, I think, uh, 18th century, uh, and it's not even it's near the site, but it's not completely over the stone circle site. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to take these photographs. But uh, he's said to have banished it and brought in the gospels. But the unfortunate thing is how this was retold. I told you about the stone that it was a place of trading. It said that this was once covered in gold. It was painted in gold. But now out came the stories that the people, the clan, the followers, the cult of the Krong Dove 
they were human sacrifices. And this is where you get the whole stories of the Druids and human sacrifice. Propaganda. I totally believe it was a propaganda thing. And it was said that the firstborn, of course, they're taking this from a, a Jesus story, that the firstborn in the area had to be brought here and sacrificed on the top of the stone. And this channel was for the blood of the first uh, born to be given down into the ground to feed the crumb dove. I think there's total propaganda. I still think this was not so much a cult. I think we're going back to the beginning where it's about bringing an imagery to a vision, to a time, to a condition. And uh, this is the condition of the ripening corn. But this ugliness was brought in as a kind of extra fear-mongering. You don't want to be with those people because they're, it's all about human sacrifice. They'll chop your heads off. And, of course, that's where they got to chop the heads off from. You're chopping the heads from all the cereals. So they transfer that to humans, chopping the head off of humans. It's a bit like when I was in the USA, um, uh, I, uh, when I was in, in Florida. It was amazing how many people said, thought I was the devil because I'd come from Europe. These are people that never traveled. They'd never got a passport in their life. And the reason being is because the people in their church had told them that uh, Europe is a socialist country and how socialism is incredibly evil. It's a system of the devil. It's about having your abundance and sharing it and how evil that is. And he's going back to what I was saying about the Fomorians, uh, the twist in this whole belief that the abundance is uh, for sharing. Anyway, I back come to the end of this. Um, I'm going to, uh, there's so much more I could tell you with this. I hope this made some sense. Um, trading and feasting important at this time. And I'm just going to see what uh, you've had to say extra on this. Um, now, what's Charlene have to say? Uh, grateful for you. I hope it wasn't too much of a ramble for you. It's something I can just go on and on about this one. But as I say, I'll put it into the course. Uh, lovely to see you, Shell. Uh, and uh, I wish I could go on more, but we'll bring it back and I'll, I'll kind of tie it up. It's a subject I'll come back to time and time again, I'm sure, uh, especially at Lunasa, um, because it is the grounding of this whole uh, Lunasa story. So, um, getting back to where I'm supposed to be, which is, uh, uh -huh, I've, uh, I've frozen up. Uh, no, I want to, oh, I have to bring this back down, the protector, uh, because uh, that's the coup. And the imagery of, um, of both Cromslack and uh, Cromdove, especially Cromslack, that uh, didn't want people to attack them, so they actually had the coup, their protector, the hound, I think to the right and to the left, I've got a picture, they have the stag. And you'll find that with pictures of the uh, kayak, of the morigu, the morrigan. They often have the, uh, the coup, the, the hound one side and the stag the other. I'll talk about that another time. Anyway, um, that uh, is the Sunday session on uh, So let me tell you what's coming up. Now, the, the first thing is, of course, uh, my annual reminder. Uh, I'm hoping it is a time of abundance uh, that uh, I'm, in order to improve the labyrinth gardens 
and to be hopefully less fumbly uh, with the uh, broadcast here. Uh, there is the summer uh, fundraiser, so please, uh, you're welcome to join in on that. And that's an access point. You can, uh, uh, there we go. There uh, you see it. No, you don't. Uh, it's funded by uh, your donations. It's funny. I've got this new kit and it's, it's telling me to, to stop doing it. There we, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so that's the tip jar link. And uh, future access to the Labyrinth Scars here will be limited to your sponsors. And I'll say you'll get this full course when I get it out and develop it for you. And it'll go very much deeper into the themes and stories of these Sunday sessions. So talking to that, next Sunday is going to be quite exciting. It's really a follow-up uh, from this. It's the discovering the Ashlings and the Green Man. And I think you'll love this. And this is taking this whole idea of the landscape, contemplating on it, and coming out with your poetry. And I'm going into the folklore of actually doing that. Uh, the Ashlings, very much the inspiration to a lot of men. And the Green Man... And, well, I'll talk about the other characters, uh, again, colored people like that. The inspiration, the motivation, the passion of women. So that's coming up next Sunday, 16th of August. And then um, on the 23rd, it's Heritage Week. Here's the start of it. So we've got Poets for Heritage. So we're going to have two poetry sessions on the 23rd. We're going to have the Poetry for Heritage uh, on 2 p.m., and then at 4 p.m., it's going to be Bards from the Woods. Themes are going to be a bit different. And as we get closer to that, I'll explain what. And please make your contributions. Then the one that people have really been looking for is um, the uh, Sensing Herbs. And uh, that one, is, don't look up the book, her books. Um, learn how to learn from your plants around, excuse me. I got quite hoarse today. I suppose it's been going on a long time. But how to actually sense the herbs and know the nutrition and healing and therapy. I'm going to be going into that, I think, and people have been asking for that. Shame you can't uh, actually be here for that, but we do uh, what's, uh, what's best uh, at that time. Uh, so that's uh, Karakori Journal channel. Please subscribe if you can to that. And we're on, there's a podcast on Spotify. There it is there. That's the audio of these Sunday sessions. Um, and Sunday sessions, it's actually going out live now on the caracorycottage.com. And you can get an access to the past uh, archives there um, of, uh, of the sessions. So uh, hope you'll join me again, uh, as I say, 2 o'clock. And, and, well, this isn't 2 o'clock, 4 p.m., is our very first Bars from the Woods, and I better get going and, and preparing for that for you because uh, the old time's getting on here. Uh, I'll be back on again very shortly. <laughs> so that's at uh, 4 p.m., and I've got to go on it away and assemble that for you. Uh, I, is there anyone else who's, uh, let's see, I'm going to see any extra comments. Hi, Sherry, I'm glad you enjoyed that. It was a long one. And Donna, uh, glad you enjoyed that. So please keep commenting here after you've been watching this uh, as an archive. I just leave you now by wishing you a safe week, uh, lots of wonder, celebrations, and 
enchantments, lots of enchantments. So until next Sunday, do play well. Bye-bye.